Thank you for the privilege of bringing God's Word this morning. It is a joy to be with you, and uh, thanks to Steve and to all of the committee and to all of you for your hospitality to us. It is our privilege to be here, and we are grateful. I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Psalm 67. Psalm 67 will be our text. As we think about this psalm, I like to call this the Great Commission Psalm from the Psalter. This psalm recognizes God's kingly rule over all of the earth, and it is praying for His sovereign and righteous rule to extend over the nations. And while we, as New Covenant believers, have the privilege of seeing the ushering in and the the uh, fulfillment, the beginning of the fulfillment of this psalm, we know that there is still work to be done, and we want to join our voices with that of the psalmist to pray that the nations would hear the gospel, that they would obey the gospel, and that they would rejoice as they learn of the glorious ways of King Jesus. I apologize to the sound man. I think I forgot to unmute. Is, is that better for... Okay. <laughs> I'm getting a thumbs up. My apologies. Um, just a few comments on the structure of this psalm. Sometimes uh, it, is, it is enjoyable to consider the psalms and how they're put together, and there is um, a certain structure to this. As with many of the psalms, you'll see a chiastic st structure in that the middle verse is kind of the central theme of it, and it's bracketed by two identical verses in verses 3 and 5. So just Take note of that as we prepare to read. It is my custom to pray before the reading of Scripture. I hope that is okay. So let us go to the Lord in prayer. Gracious and merciful God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is the very words of God and that we can trust it. And Lord, we pray that we would humble ourselves before it, for we are your people, the sheep of your pasture, and we ask, O oh God, that you would bless us as we consider your word, that you would by your Spirit, deliver it to us. Your, your Spirit has inspired it, and now would you breathe it into us, and may we receive it with joy. And Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. Amen. Psalm 67. To the choir master with stringed instruments, a psalm, a song. May God be gracious to us and bless us, and make his face to shine upon us, that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon the earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. Amen. And we praise God that he has spoken to us in his holy and inerrant word. I begin this morning with a question for you to consider. And that is this. What is God's posture towards his creation? If, if we were to consider how God views mankind, what is his desire? I begin with that question to help us to consider how we should view the world. We have hosted a small group in our home over um, much of our time in uh, Katy, Texas, and while I was um, preparing this sermon originally, I preached it originally at Christ Church last summer, 
And questions came up in our small group that weren't really related to this, but um, some relatively new Christians asked about God, and the question, does God love everyone, came up. Because that's a question that, that many people struggle with, especially as they think of God's sovereign electing love upon his, his family, upon his children. And, it, and it's a question that requires a thoughtful answer. There is a sense in which God does love everyone. He created the world, and he causes the rain to fall upon the just and the unjust. And he gives good things to the world that he has created. Theologians would say that he has a benevolent or a beneficent love towards the world. He's created the world. He provides for his creation, and he loves the world. God is love, and God is also a God of justice. But the fact that he stays his hand, as we see that he has done over and over in Scripture, and that he stays his hand from those that rebel against him is, is a signal, is a reminder of his mercy and his grace. And certainly that grace is extended to us as his people, for we know that all have sinned, and apart from the work of Christ on our behalf, we would all face God as our judge and face the sentence that is ours because of our sin and rebellion against God. Also, we must recognize that God loves His Son, and those, all those that are united to the Son, God loves them in a very special way. God's love and His election is a great and a deep mystery, but it's also a great privilege. God has con condescended to us as we, as we spoke this morning, as we reflected upon the covenant, how God had to condescend to us so that we could know him. He has revealed himself and he gathers a people unto himself. And what a blessing that is. But this psalm reminds us that along with the blessing of being part of God's family, along with the blessing of being God's people, comes a responsibility. And this text this morning invites us and compels us to pray that God's glory would be advanced to the nations. God is glorified as his name is proclaimed. He is glorified when sinners come to faith in him, and he is glorified when his name is known and his will is obeyed. This text prays for God's blessing so that he is glorified as his way is known and his saving power is proclaimed. I forgot to give you my outline. You have it in your insert there. Point number one, seeking the blessing of the king. Number two, seeking the rule of the king. And number three, rejoicing in that blessing and rule of the king. There are echoes of two significant Old, Old Testament passages in this psalm, particularly in verses one and two. We see first that the opening lines there, may God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us, Hopefully that brings your mind back to number six, to what we call the Aaronic benediction there. And that was a priestly blessing that God gave to Moses and instructed Aaron and his sons to pass that along to God's people. And the final verse, if we were to turn to number six, we would find that it's not technically part of that blessing, but it's rather a comment from God himself regarding the blessing. And he says there, so shall they put my name upon the people of Israel, and I will bless them. And what Psalm 67 seems to be doing is that it's taking this blessing 
and turning it into a personalized prayer, saying, may God be gracious to us. May God make his face to shine upon us. A shining face is the opposite of a frowning face. It's, <clears throat> it's the full showing of God's favor upon his people. Think of perhaps a happy reunion in an airport when someone greets someone they haven't seen for a long time. Their face lights up. A shining face implies the warmth of friendship, of, of love and affection. And it is, this psalm is seeking that from God. It's seeking God's favor and blessing, his approval. Now, many people see God's favor merely as a means to gain material blessings. And they, when they pray, Lord, bless me, they're just simply saying, Lord, give me more. Give me more stuff. But if, if our desire of a blessing is simply a veiled desire to be rich, we need to be reminded of Christ's words in Mark 8 where he said, For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and to forfeit his soul? And while material blessing may be a part of this, and I think it is included in it, it is a lesser part. The, the greater part is seeking God for who he is, both our loving provider, but more importantly, our Lord and our King, and for those who are in Christ, our Father to whom we pray. It's expressing a desire that God would draw near to his people in the closeness of a relationship. And the desire for true spiritual blessing must be at the heart of all of our desires. Otherwise, our, our desires are vain and empty and, and lead us into temptation and a snare. We're not blessed simply to heap up more blessings, more material blessings upon ourselves, but to, for a purpose, and that's what this psalm is pointing us to. The Apostle Paul warns the rich in 1 Timothy 6 to not be haughty, nor to set their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us everything to enjoy. They are to be rich in good works, the apostle says, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. This prayer in verse 1 is seeking the true spiritual favor of God, his always adequate but often abundant material blessings. But more importantly, all of his blessings, the, that closeness of relationship with him, the knowledge of his word and his ways, his peace, his protection, the knowledge of sins forgiven and being part of his family, that is true blessing that we are to seek. And why does the psalmist pray this way? Well, look with me at verse 2. It says, that your way may be known on earth your saving power among all the nations. And so with each of these points that I have laid out, these three points, there is a, a that, a so that, so that God's glory is known, so that his way is known on the earth and his saving power upon all the nations. We are praying for God's blessing so that his way is known, so that his glory is proclaimed, so that his glory goes forth to those that have not heard. And that links us to the other Old Testament passage that is significant, again, reflecting upon the covenant that he gave to Abraham in, in Genesis 12 that, that you all have probably heard preached recently as, as Genesis has been proclaimed. There we read how God said to Abraham, or to Abram, I should say, go from your country and the place of your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great na nation. I will bless you and make your name great 
so that you will be a blessing. Again, so that you will be a blessing. He was blessed to be a blessing. And this is both a command and a promise. It was a command to Abraham and his descendants that they were blessed to be a blessing to the nations around them. And sometimes you see that happening, but often you see them kind of closing in on themselves and unfortunately being affected in a negative way as they took on the idols and practices of the nations around them. Instead of being that shining light that God called them to, God called Abram to and his descendants, they were called to be a blessing to others. So it is a command to Abraham and his descendants, but it's also a promise. And we see the dawn of that promise in Acts chapter 2, where Peter boldly preached on the day of Pentecost and 3,000 souls were saved. And many from the surrounding nations came and heard the word in their own language and came to faith in Christ. Peter even references the promise made to Abraham in Acts chapter 3 in another sermon that he gave. And and at this time, it was a mostly Jewish audience. And he said to them, You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, And in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant and sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you away from your wickedness. And so there Peter is reminding the people of God that they were blessed to be a blessing to the nations around them. So let's look at this psalm a bit closer. It says that your way may be known on the earth. What is this phrase, the way of God? The book of Psalms uses this phrase quite frequently. We see it in Psalm 25. Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your path, the psalmist prays. In Psalm 51, as David confessed his sin and, and responded to God's grace, he said, then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will return to you. And the great Psalm 119, which so often speaks of God and his word and his ways, there in, in verse 15 it says, I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes upon your ways. Think of how Proverbs talks about our ways. It says that, um, that I will, speaking of a, of a person's way of life, in all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. So it's a person's actions, his activities, his thoughts, his way of life. And, and similarly, we should see God's ways, God's actions, God's attributes, God's dealings with mankind, all of those are part of his ways. So the, the psalmist is praying and desiring and recognizing that, that Israel's special calling was to enjoy the blessings of God and then to proclaim those ways, those actions, those attributes to the nations around them. And as new covenant believers, I believe that this applies to us in a similar way that we share in that ability and in that responsibility. So how, then, are we to make God's ways known? We know that God has revealed himself to us in and through his word, so as God's word is proclaimed, his ways are being made known. It's also as upon us to study his ways on our own, to read his word, and to seek to learn more about him. 
So then we consider this next phrase, your saving power among the nations in the second part of verse 2. What does that mean? Well, we know that that God is the God of salvation. The very name Jesus means that he will save his people from their sins. And so how are the nations then to see God's saving power? Well, they should see it in us, in his people. If you know of God's saving power, then talk about it with others. We see the blessing of King Jesus so that his saving power is known among the nations and that his ways are known on the earth. It is for his glory. Secondly, in verses 3 to 5, the psalmist calls us to seek the rule of the king that the nations might rejoice in him. Verse 4, as we mentioned earlier, seems to be the focal point, the midpoint, and the high point of this psalm. It's bracketed by those identical verses in verse 3 and 5, which say, let the peoples praise you, O God, let all the peoples praise you. And so it seems like the psalmist is bursting forth in his desire to bring praise to God that all the nations would rejoice, that they would be glad and sing for joy. So who are the nations? Well, we think of a a nation as as one that has its own government, maybe one that we can point to upon a globe, uh, maybe their own army, their own culture, their own language. But Another word that's used in Scripture where this word appears in the Hebrew is people, or we could say people group. And uh, missiologists, particularly John Piper in his book, has spoken strongly and, and makes an excellent case where he makes the, 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 the case that, that we should not just seek the, the salvation of individuals, but of the proclamation of the gospel to people groups. And, and um, missiologists define a group, a people group, as a significantly large grouping of individuals who perceive themselves to have a common affinity for one another because of their shared language, religion, ethnicity, residence, occupation, class, situation, or a combination of these. In other words, a, a group of people that identify with others in their culture. And we see that... that we should seek the salvation of the people, of the nations, of people groups. Jesus said in Matthew 24 that this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. The Apostle Paul had a keen desire to see the the gospel go forth to those who had not yet heard. In Romans 15, he's recounting his ministry from Jerusalem to Eliakim, but his desire was to go forth where the gospel had not been proclaimed, and he wanted to go to Spain. We, We don't know if he ever made it, but he expressed that desire in the book of Romans. He was seeking to fulfill the promise and command to Abraham and the prayer of this psalm in verse 4. But there's a bit of irony also in this central verse, in verse 4, as the psalmist notes two aspects of God's rule that that pagan nations and pagan people hate, and that is God's justice and God's rule. Perhaps you've had conversations with unbelievers in which they, they thought that either God was not just, he was too harsh in his justice, or maybe he was too lax in his justice, against those who create what what we in our human minds think of as the worst crimes against others. Pagans complain about 
God's justice. But God is a God who judges rightly with equity. And the psalmist rejoices in the fact that God guides and rules his people. And the only way that an unbelieving person or nation or people group will ever rejoice in God's justice and his sovereign rule is if they bow the knee to King Jesus. It's only when they submit to him as their Lord and Savior that they can know God in such a way as to rejoice in his glorious attributes, all of them. Because we, we can't take just one part of God. We have to recognize who he is in all of his glorious attributes. That is, when we know him and love him, when we know his ways, then we can glory in all of his ways. And how can these nations be made glad? It is only as they submit to him as their Lord and Savior. In Romans 16, 26, in the closing verses of Romans, the apostle speaks of the gospel being preached according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed, and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations according to the commandment of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith. We must pray that the gospel would go forth to all the nations and that many would be obedient and respond in faith so that those who now hate the concept of God's justice and rule over his creation would come to love the Lord of grace and peace and justice and mercy and love the Lord who made them. Oh, that the nations would be glad. Oh, that the nations would shout for joy. Finally, and more briefly, let us look at the final verses and consider our third point, rejoicing in the blessing of the king, the blessing and rule of the king, that the nations might fear him. Verse 6 has this emphasis from the, the life of a farmer, saying the earth has yielded its increase. We might picture a Hebrew farmer rejoicing over the harvest, knowing that the grain is safely in the barn. I've, I've never been a, a full-time farmer. I've had the privilege of, of helping various friends and family in, in farming endeavors. When I was a teenager, I would spend a couple weeks each summer with my grandpa and grandma in, in Troy, Missouri, and they had a farm that, that was still somewhat functional. And I just remember when, the, when we hauled hay, and that was one of the hottest jobs I could, could picture, and when the hay was all in that hot barn, my grandpa was pleased. I was pleased as well because I was looking forward to a cold Coke and some air conditioning. I'm sure his pleasure was a little more um, mature in that he knew the hay was in the barn. It was in the dry, and he hoped to see the profit from it. But here we see that the, the farmer is reflecting upon God's blessing and, and seeing that God has brought increase to his crops and recognizing it is a blessing from the Lord. He, it's as though the farmer is saying, Lord, you've blessed the ground and you've blessed the harvest. Now will you somehow use it to spread your glory and fame? Will you somehow use it to cause the ends of the earth to fear you? To fear the Lord is to have a high and exalted view of God. It's, it's to stand in awe of his wisdom and power, his majesty, his justice and mercy. It's to recognize him in all of his attributes. It is to obey him. It's to value what he values, to hate what he hates, to love what he loves. It is a teachable humility. It is a turning away from evil. I love Sinclair Ferguson's description of the fear of the Lord. 
and he says that it is that indefinable mixture of reverence and pleasure, joy and awe, which fills our hearts when we realize who God is and what he's done for us. Let me give that to you again. That indefinable mixture of reverence and pleasure, joy and awe, which fills our hearts when we realize who God is and what he has done for us. So if we truly know God, then fearing him should really come somewhat naturally to us. It should not be a foreign concept, even though it, it does seem something that's, that's hard to define. And even a man esteemed as Sinclair Ferguson, in his definition, says that indefinable mixture, which I found somewhat humor, humorous. But, but it, I think that if, if we are faithfully following God and seeking to know him, we will fear him. Psalm 36 reminds us, however, that there is no fear of God before the eyes of the wicked. Obviously, the nations cannot and will not fear God if they don't know Him as God. So therefore, we must take the gospel to them. And that brings me to the practical application, I think, of this text, is that we must proclaim Christ to the nations so that they might know God, so that they might fear God, so that they might know of His ways, so that they might rejoice in Him, that they would be glad and sing for joy, as the psalmist is praying for here. But first, they must hear. Romans 10 tells us that, reminds us and, and asks the questions, how then will they call on Him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in Him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear when, without someone preaching? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. And our own fear of God and our desire for God's glory in all things should fuel our zeal for mission. But that desire should also be fueled by our compassion for the lost and, and our own recognition of who we are apart from God's grace. That should fuel our compassion for the lost. If we are God-fearing people, then we should naturally have a desire to see His glory proclaimed and the gospel shared with those who have not yet heard. We must remember that those who are outside of Christ will face His judgment and His wrath, but it's more than a fear of hell that should compel us, compel us to, to bring the gospel. It's to tell them that Christ can and should be their greatest treasure. I ask you this morning, is Christ your greatest treasure? Do you treasure Christ above all else? Is the gospel work deep within your own heart so that you with joy tell others about the saving grace of our Lord Jesus Christ? So consider the implications of this. In light of the blessings that you have received, will you now pray along with the psalmist? And will you seek to make your life reflective of the grace that is in your own heart because of God's goodness to you? Now, I, I recognize that I am, I am not your pastor. I am not the one that normally brings this week by week. And I'm not here to beat you over the head because I've, I've looked at the budget, which I haven't, uh, and, and think you don't give enough to missions. I, I know one of, the, one of the many things that excite me about this church is that you are a mission-sending church. 
and I see missionaries featured in your insert, and I know that there's missionaries you support, and I know that, that the dollars that you give are going to proclaim the gospel and seeking to fulfill what the psalmist is praying for here. But I think we need to reflect upon this, this psalm and, and, and pray along with the psalmist that God's glory would be known. Uh, you've probably heard it many times, as have I, um, originally uh, stated by John Piper in this, in this book that I referenced, that, that missions exist because worship doesn't. And, and God's glory is not yet proclaimed fully to the nations. And so what are we to do in light of that? Well, everyone can pray. We are to pray along with the psalmist. We are pr to pray for the spread of the gospel among the unreached people groups. I read recently that there are still, in 2023, there are still over 7,000 unreached people groups. That's staggering. That represents over 3 billion people who have not heard the gospel of Christ. If you look at nations uh, that, are, that are just what I would consider super populated, like India and China and, and other places that the gospel has penetrated so little into those cultures. We as God's people need to pray for the advance of the gospel in those places. So pray that God would raise up translators and missionaries and church planters among them. Pray for the, the raising up of ministers within the, within the church. What a blessing it is to to see some of our own young people, and, and we've been blessed at, at Christ Church in Katy to have one that, that, that we claim as our own that is now raising support to be an MTW missionary in Japan. What a delight that is, and we should pray that God would raise up those that would take the gospel. But also pray for the salvation of our neighbors. Pray for more sinners to hear and receive the gospel. Pray, as I know that you do, for the missionaries your church supports, and many of you probably know other missionaries that you love and, and cherish their friendship, and I know that, that we can pray for those. So pray for more resources so that more missionaries can be sent. Secondly, many of us can give, and, and I think probably all of us can give a little. It takes resources. It takes money to send missionaries, and and I've looked at a lot of budgets for missionaries over the years, and, and some of it's kind of staggering at, at how much it costs, especially in places like Japan, to send a, a family to those places. But those people need the gospel, so give to missions. So let me ask you, does your heart, does your giving reflect a heart that desires the nations to hear the gospel? And finally, I'll challenge you in this that a few of us can go. Everyone can pray, most can give, and a few can go. And perhaps even this morning, that as you think about God's glory being proclaimed to the nations, perhaps there's a stirring in your heart, and perhaps you have wondered, Lord, is, is this something I'm supposed to do? Is this for me? Is this for my family? If, it, are you calling me in some way to be a greater participant. I love the fact that, that this church sends short-term missions, and, and I would encourage you to participate as much as you can in those opportunities because those are a first step, and often God uses those first steps to, 
to stir our heart and give, to inflame a passion for the lost and to, and to help us crystallize His call upon our lives. So participate in those things and, and give heartily and pray much. We are a blessed people and God has blessed us with many resources and, and I don't know very many of, you, many of you very well, but I know what it's like in America in general in comparison to the rest of the world and we are a rich people materially, but we are also a rich people spiritually. God has blessed us much and He calls us to to share that blessing, that we are blessed to be a blessing to others. This morning, in a few moments, we'll partake of the Lord's table, and we'll be reminded of the blessings that are ours as we, as we, as we partake of the bread and the wine, and we recognize Christ's sacrifice for us to pay the penalty for our sins, to, to make us His own, to adopt us and bring us into His family we are blessed with abundant blessings. May we be a blessing to the nations. Let us pray. Gracious and merciful God, we thank you, O oh God, for your blessing upon us. We are humbled in recognizing how undeserving we are. We are truly deserving of your wrath and displeasure, of your justice to reign upon us but you are a God of grace and you have condescended to us and you are a covenant-making and covenant-keeping God and you bless us as you told Abraham centuries ago, millennium ago, that you are blessing him and giving him a people, a descendants to be a blessing to the nations. So Lord, unite our hearts to pray with the psalmist in Psalm 67, Lord, that your glory and that your power would be made known that you would be gracious to us and bless us, that all the ends of the earth would fear you. Lord, stir our hearts to pray that and to live that out day by day. We pray in Christ's mighty name. Amen. I invite you now as we to sing together our hymn of response, verses 1 and 2 of hymn 688, Have Thine Own Way, Lord. <clears throat> 